Hello and welcome to Newsnight. I am Ladi Akiri Duluale. Thanks for being with us. The election campaign season has taken off fully and politicians are now in the season of promises. My guest on the program today says he believes the country's political system has been significantly improved by the Electoral Amendment Act 2022 and that better outcomes can be expected from the election circle. My guest also says that he's no one's stooge and if elected, he will implement his programs while building on the foundations laid by his predecessors. Newsnight talks to the governorship candidate of the People's Democratic Party, PDP, in Nigeria's south-south state of Akwaibom, Pastor Umo Basi Eno. Pastor Umo Eno, thank you for your time. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Larry, for having me. Thank you. Let me begin by asking you about your views about the state of uh, national politics. Uh, what, what do you think about what has happened, uh, particularly with the nation's electoral act, uh, the party primary season that produced candidates like yourself, and uh, the run-up to the campaigns, and what has happened since the campaign kicked off? Do you think this is uh, better than what we had in the 2019 and possibly 2015 circles, or is it the same? The issue, um, the Electoral Act has brought in some, um, thrown up some amendments, some issues, and have, um, but overall, I think the Electoral Act has set in place um, a pattern that is clearer than what it used to be. And um, the, even though, we try to, you know, plan and think that we can get things um, our way all the time. But the Electoral Act, I think, sets a level playing field for everybody to run this race. And uh, from the primaries, uh, we saw what happened where the Act itself uh, had locked out um, people, uh, the, stat the statutory delegates, even though that has been amended, but it has not been ascended to by the president, so you can't um, put it to use. So all of these things uh, also will need to be looked at. How did it, how did we get to where we are? Why did we not look at it properly uh, with all of the people we had in the House of Assembly, uh, National, I mean, National Assembly? How did it slip like that? These are all issues that we need to put in proper perspective. But let me bring you to something else that will, of course, uh, possibly have an impact on the elections themselves, and that is the general state of uh, uh, security in the country. A lot has been said about that. Uh, both in the run-up to this election circle and even before that. Um, let me start off nationally. Uh, do you think perhaps uh, the state of security or insecurity, as some have chosen to describe it, will have any impact on the elections uh, uh, nationally uh, and then perhaps even in Akwaibom State where you're hoping to be the next governor? Definitely security is everything. Security is everything. And the way it's going, I just pray and trust God that um, we'll be able to arrest the situation. When even the federal capital territory is being threatened, 
by bandits and um, you you know that the American embassy recently issued a warning and I understand they even had to evacuate their staff even though governments have come to say there were no issues but I don't think that the American embassy will just issue a threat alert when there is nothing. Um, so we need, we really need to take security very seriously. I must admit that our armed forces are doing a great deal of work, but we need to re-strategize and always stay ahead of all of these people. In Akwaibom, we want to thank God for the leadership of Governor Domi Manuel. Akwaibom is peaceful. You have uh, pockets of things here and there, but it's generally peaceful. We are not living under a siege as we have elsewhere. But I pray and trust God that the leadership in the country will rise up and be proactive about our security challenges. When you mentioned that, uh, you know, in Aquaibon State, there are pockets here and there, you don't think those pockets uh, might affect uh, the capacity or the uh, willingness of people to participate in the election itself, especially given that you, when you mentioned the U.S. Uh, travel advisory, uh, the U.K. also uh, has a travel advisory which lists uh, 22 states in Nigeria. And coincidentally, Aquaibom is one of the states that they listed that except people have no choice, they shouldn't go to, that is British citizens. So is it that these pockets, in your view, are not significant enough to have any kind of impact uh, on the election itself when, when, or what? When I mean pockets, you, you know also that there is no country, there is no city. There is, I don't know of a place where you can have a total crime-free uh, society. But when I mean pockets, it's not like you have bandits somewhere, you have headsmen somewhere. It might be little, little uh, uh, things to deal with. And the government is certainly on top of that. And um, it's, it's just part of growing up. When you, a, a city and a state begins to develop, this thing comes with development. And so government deals with it. And uh, but it's nothing alarming. It's nothing to worry about, in my view. All right. Uh, let me bring you to Aquaibom State uh, uh, itself now and uh, your quest uh, uh, to be governor. Um, of course, we'll return to uh, the national stage at a point uh, in the discussion later on. But let's come to Aquaibom. Now, if, if, if you were to identify what would be the most singular, most pressing problem or issue or challenge uh, that Aquaibom has and which you would want to tackle if you were elected governor, what would that be and how would you go about it? If you look at, I'm sure you have my program, we have what we call the Arise Agenda. It's uh, five major aspirations. And those aspirations uh, is summarized in the Arise Agenda. Agricultural revolution, rural development, infrastructural maintenance, um, security, which of course is key. Uh, and then uh, economic development, education and environment. This is summed up in the Arise Agenda. And these are the areas I believe that, given the state of Aquaibom today, with the sound infrastructural development that we already have, we need 
to do what I call connecting the dots. We need to be able to bring all of these things together and connect things and put them in proper perspective um, so that we can continue to have uh, a society where our people will continue to reap the benefits of democracy. The agricultural revolution is key because right now the world is being threatened by food insecurity, which what is happening around the world, the flood, uh, then the war in Ukraine and Russia. So the, there is a need for any government to think of how you will feed your people and have a food sufficiency. So agriculture, and not just the subsistence farming, but agriculture, agriculture as a business, and then you go into a, this agribusiness and let the people derive full value chain so that at least they can feed themselves and you can mitigate the high cost of uh, food right now uh, uh, in, in the market. So the rice agenda brings up those challenges that we see and then prefer solution as to how we intend to uh, serve the people and what we intend to let them have to mitigate the present uh, food instability. When I spoke with uh, uh, the current governor of Akwaibom State, uh, Udom Emmanuel, uh, this agricultural issue was one of uh, the subjects that we took up during that interview. And uh, I, I, I remember that he pointed out that sometimes the government is faced with the challenge of getting the people to understand that some of what it is bringing to bear, even, those, even though those things are new, uh, they are of benefit to the people. The technologies uh, allow them to produce more, the type of seedlings, uh, the finance, uh, the techniques, and so on. But that sometimes that proves to be a very difficult challenge in getting the people to move from what they are used to, what they normally have been doing for generations, uh, onto this new thing. Uh, and that, that, for him, was going to be uh, the continuing challenge at the time. Uh, do, do, is, do you agree with that? And then uh, how does one overcome that, especially given that you have also identified this as one of the, uh, you know, one of the uh, uh, pillars of what will form your own agenda for governance? Yes, there is a challenge. It's a human nature. Once you have done something over time, it's always difficult to accept something new. But government has um, extension service workers. Uh, there's a lot of enlightenment going on. Uh, there are a lot of demonstration farms that you can let them see the benefits of departing from what they used to do to doing something new. So you keep enlightening the people, keep sensitizing them. And as you uh, as they see the benefits, they will move to something new because that's the only way to go, except we embrace this technology and be able to, we can produce more food, except you, and you can have the full value chain of, uh, to be able to deliver on the promises you have made. So we need to consistently sensitize our farmers and um, agribusiness uh, people and that is being done and will continue to do it. We have um, um, MGAs that are handling all of this enlightenment. And we go into the villages and um, also talk 
to the farming community because we have a large farming community. Of course, you know that Akwaibom is green all year round. So we have a large farming community. One of the things we did in government when I was the executive director of Agri Investment was to uh, do a profiling of all of our farmers and we have a database and we know, so we have a large farming community. We can reach them, we can talk with them, we can also sensitize them. You were commissioner for lands and water resources uh, before this. And uh, in, in, in that stead, would, would one say that, um, I mean, since we're talking about agriculture, land and water resources are, are two of the prime things uh, involved in agricultural development. What, what would you say was your experience like in that ministry uh, tackling some of these difficulties, uh, particular, uh, particularly as they relate to the issues of land, the land tenure system, the issue uh, with uh, farmers having smallholder uh, farms where mechanical farming is not employed, uh, and then the issue of water, access to water, uh, the federal government's uh, attempts uh, to bring the states together and coordinate water resources with the water resources bill, which has not been passed at the National Assembly. What, 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 can, you, uh, what can you tell us about your experience in that ministry with regards to some of these issues and challenges? Thank you. The issue of uh, land. Uh, when I was commissioner for land, we deliberately allocated land uh, um, for farmings, farming. We have areas reserved in Akwaibom State largely for farming. And um, so when people want to do farming on a commercial basis, the state allocates land. It's part of the things uh, we do, uh, ease of business. We, we allocate land and we ensure that we work with the farmers to actualize their vision. So, so the issue of land has never been a problem. If anything, this government made it very, very easy. What people, most of the farmers had as um, a snag was the ability to have a certificate of occupancies to help them work with uh, financial institutions to raise uh, capital to support the farming uh, projects. Uh, when I came in, uh, His Excellency uh, graciously had uh, delegated authority to me to sign off certificates of occupancies because it was part of our strategy to make sure that uh, investment, whether it was in farming or whether it was in agriculture or um, any other area, uh, will be done with ease. So I signed off very many certificate of occupancies, particularly the ones that had um, business interest. We, we did that. And then we, in the water resource, we had a water resources, a water bill too, that uh, has gone through the, the, has actually been passed by the Aquarium State House of Assembly and is waiting for the governor's assent. That bill was, includes all of the things that were to be done in the water sector so that we can get water available um, everywhere, particularly to our farmers in the rural areas. And then before I left the ministry, we had a strong cooperation with the Federal Ministry of Water Resources 
and we we had exchange programs. They were actually coming to uh, talk to our people, reviewed policies together. There were some programs of the federal government on uh, water resources that we had in our Ibom state. So once that bill is signed, the Ministry of Land and Water Resources will now have it as a responsibility, backed up by law, to be able to provide um, water, particularly in rural areas where this farm, uh, where this farmers situate. One of your focal sectors is the the oil and gas. Of course, everyone. Uh, in Nigeria, who is familiar with Akwaibom, knows that it's an oil-producing state. Uh, and in that capacity, uh, it, it, it has uh, gained quite a great uh, deal of prominence. Uh, more, more recently, uh, it signed an agreement with the NNPC uh, Limited, uh, which is now a, a private company, uh, to create a hub uh, uh, within the state, uh, which is to take it away from just producing oil, but also to provide uh, uh, logistical support to the oil and gas industry generally. Uh, what do you make of that, what do you make of that uh, uh, idea? And now that the agreement has, has been signed, are you going to go on with it uh, if you become governor? And what does it aim to achieve? And how does that translate into, for example, employment for your people uh, and, and all of that uh, in terms of value addition and then revenue for the state government? The Ibom Solution is a, a critical area that has been set aside for logistical uh, uh, projects to support the oil and gas industry, like we have rightly said. Of course, the benefit is enormous employment and then activity that will be generated in that area. Don't forget that the Boom District Port project is just around that area. So, with the logistics hub that will come in there it will help to facilitate the work that uh, government, uh, the work that will be happening in the Boom Deep Sea Port. It is one major step that this administration has taken. And um, of course, we'll continue by the grace of God um, if we come into office. We will continue to expand the oil and gas environment and begin to look at how to attract more investment in the oil and gas sector into Aquaibom state. So that, because that this is where we are, this state produces 33% thereabout of uh, 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 the, the crude in this country. And we should be able to have the presence of major, major oil services company around this state. And the Ibom Solution Hub will provide that opportunity, the environment, the ambience, and all of the tools that will be required to bring in other oil and gas uh, uh, investors into the area. The viability of states is something that a lot of people talk about. Uh, in many instances, many of the states of the Federation have uh, been practically declared insolvent, bankrupt, uh, because they have uh, large workforces, uh, they are owing months, sometimes years, of salary arrears, pensions, and gratuities. Uh, and then uh, contractors are also being owed. The state revenue is dwindling because uh, its uh, agencies are unable to collect taxes uh, and all of that. The debt profile is very high. And all. Now, in the case of Aquaibom, there are many people who would say that, uh, you know, 
perhaps uh, in your own case is a bit different, uh, but is it really different? Uh, and are you worried uh, about uh, the viability of what you will be inheriting if you become governor, particularly uh, against the background of this issue of viability and the need for, uh, for perhaps uh, the federal government, which is also struggling, uh, to devolve more powers and funding uh, to the states. Where do you stand on that? Akwaibom is very viable, and we have been blessed with a governor who himself is an accountant, a financial expert, and has brought financial ingenuity into the management of the resources of Akwaibom. And what he has also done is to steer the state away from being 100% uh, civil service uh, structured state, where we go cap in hand to Abuja every month to um, queue for allocation. Now he has succeeded. We have Ibom Airline, which is only owned by the state government. We have other ventures. We have the uh, uh, Ibom Syringe Factory, uh, that is the largest in Africa. All of this is to help um, get the economy away from just being uh, depending on, you know, Abuja. So I believe that by the grace of God, as we come in, we'll continue with the programs that will continue to make our state move away and become, um, continue to be viable. The Boom Deep Sea Port project is there where investors are talking with us. And um, once we're able to get that started, the state is opened up by air, by land, and by sea. You can free up the economy and let you know the economy just run on its own. Then you will not be talking about um, uh, insolvency. The other issue here is you. there are things the state will need to sit down and look at, curb areas of wastages, and then be able to run, you know, as run with what you have and um, that's 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 what it is if you encourage people to become a little bit more enterprising as in other places Lagos, abuja and all of the rest then you can see that money will begin to come and people will begin to pay their taxes so but first of all the government must do their part uh, in ensuring that the people also have a level playing field to be able to get to what you want them to be. Let me bring you to uh, the, uh, your emergence as the candidate uh, the, uh, of the PDP. Uh, many people see you as the governor's candidate, uh, that is the current governor, Udom Emanuel's candidate, and that already uh, was said to have given you an unfair uh, advantage over all the other contestants. Um, first, is that true? Are you governor uh, uh, Udom Emanuel's candidate? And secondly, um, is, is, are you going to uh, are you going to be doing what governor emmanuel wishes when you become governor that's on one hand because that had created a bit of bad blood within the pdp uh, in aquaibom state because uh, it was alleged that uh, governor emmanuel cleared the way for you uh, to emerge as candidate uh, and did not allow uh, you to actually undergo a proper contest to emerge the candidate uh, well uh, i it's always uh, laughable each time, you know, these issues come up. Um, every one of us in Akwaibom, and I tell you in the PDP, 
you can also find this out yourself, you're a journalist. Everyone running for office will need an endorsement of the incumbent. And we all prayed and wanted that endorsement, every single person. And so the governor has a right to endorse whoever he believes will best do the job. Don't forget he's the one on the driver's seat right now. And so you understand best the policies and the things you're doing, and you know who you think will best follow through most of these things. So all of us were looking for that endorsement without any exception. Well, by the grace of God, the governor endorsed me, and I'm very thankful for that. I will always be. But I went through the processes like every, the primaries were done. I did not, I did not uh, pass the Electoral Act. I did not lock out statutory delegates. I, I didn't see the part I played. I just simply followed the rules. And the primaries were done. And I emerged. And so I do not understand if you are excluded from going through the processes. I went through the processes like every other person. And here I am by the grace of God, by the support of our party. I have emerged as a party flag bearer. So while I am thankful for the endorsement of His Excellency Governor Domi Manuel, I will say um, without fear of contradiction that I went through the processes. And the processes, some of whom have been tried in court, and you know, we are seeing the results coming out. Cases are being uh, dismissed right now uh, because so it's it's the, the endorsement did not exclude you. So when people say he unpicked, he unpicked. I've worked. I've been in this state long enough. I've stayed in this state for over thirty years, and I've done businesses here. I have lived here. So I think I have a right to have contested. And we also have a right to go consulting people and asking for their endorsement because the endorsement is a big part of, of politics uh, uh, everywhere in the world. But to, again, to say, will I be um, a stooge to the present governor? The man is not even cast in that mold. Governor Domi Manuel is not a man who sits on anybody. I worked I, I served in ESCO. All he wants is your ability to do your job, bring superior arguments, and when you have superior arguments, you, you have the day. You must convince him that this, what your memo is viable, he will argue with you, and then you present your facts, and sometimes you say, give me your strong reasons. That is the kind of man that Governor Dobie Manuel is. And he has always said after office, he will just move back, so his uh, private life or whatever assignment God has for him. He's not a man who breaks down your neck. But as a governor, uh, when you come into office, you must consult widely, widely with the previous governors, widely with the people of the state, widely with interest groups, and to be able to ensure that you carry everyone along. And that doesn't mean you are a stooge to anybody. You have your ideas. You have your blueprint. You have what you want to do. It's on top of your head. And we are marketing it. We are selling it to the Aquaibon people. So where is the place of um, being controlled here? I do not see it. It's just the fear that people express uh, when they don't really have 
issue-based discussions. And we, we have a program, we have a manifesto, so to speak, I call it a blueprint of um, uh, economic consolidation. And we, we're, we're selling it. Where is the path? And we have, uh, during the governorship flag of, I had a, a contract with the Aquaibum people, which will form the basis of, of the administration and people will be free to call to question the thing I had promised them. So where in the all of that document and space did you, would you see someone putting pressure on you to derail from the vision of continuing? If anything, we want to continue with the laudable projects that this administration have done. And they are very laudable. They've set the stage. And all we need to do is to ensure that we find anything that is missing and put it on. We have identified all of the things that will make Aquaibon people continue to have the dividend of democracy. We've talked about agricultural revolution. We've talked about rural development. We've talked about uh, continuing to maintain our infrastructure because you need to maintain them and build new ones. We've talked about security management, which is very key to what we want to do. We've talked about economic development. We've talked about education. We've talked about the environment. These are issues that you don't and you, you don't, will bring benefit to the archival people. And so you don't need anybody to put pressure on you to, uh, to do that. Now you mentioned, uh, when, when you mentioned the issue of court cases being dismissed, uh, there are two that interest me for the purpose of this interview and for you uh, to uh, clarify, uh, because of course out there in the media space, there's a lot of uh, uh, information uh, that is given on various uh, uh, on various spaces about what's going on. Um, what the, the first one uh, has to do with an allegation of uh, a certificate forgery made against you by Mr. Akan Okon. Now, uh, Mr. Okon uh, is uh, said to be a fellow contestant of yours uh, uh, for the uh, in the primary season, and he's gone to court on this matter. What can you tell us about the situation with that? I mean, obviously. Uh, uh, you, because an allegation, uh, that means you said it's not true. Thank you so much, Larry. This, as you are well aware, this matter is already in court. And so I do not want to preempt the outcome of um, what's going, what will come out of the courts. But I have made it very clear to the Aquaibon people that I did not, and I have not, and I will not forge my certificate. I went to school. Those schools are still there. Uh, we, and then, most importantly, the West Africa Examination uh, Council, who, who, who is the examination body, they were subpoenaed to court and they testified and tendered the certified true copy of my certificate. It is, you know, I, I just find certain things laughable. You know, when I, I got into politics, and one of the things I was told was to be ready for all manner of um, blackmails, all manner of uh, things, but it shouldn't always be so. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. There was a contest, and everyone participated. A winner must emerge. In the true spirit of sportsmanship, you, you just take it. It could have been anybody else. It didn't have to be me. It didn't have to be me. But if, by the grace of God, and by the support of the people of Akwaibom and my party, I emerged. 
there's no point to bring all of these unsubstantiated um, allegations, as it were. I thought it was a joke initially, but then when caught, I think it's a joke that has been taken too far. But again, the truth is always the truth. You can't cover the truth. These institutions are life, and they can always speak for themselves and say whether, why would I even forge a certificate for what? Certificate for over 40 something years, and I've gone screening. They didn't discover that all of a sudden. I mean, how, how, how I does, don't understand. Like I've how said, does that how does that play into uh, the case Pastor, Pastor? How does that play into the, the the one of age falsification? Because from what I have here, uh, you have three dates of birth: twenty fourth and twenty fifth of April or 10th of May, 1964, which one is it? No, 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 the, the, the issue of my date of birth is 24th April, 1964. People, all of those dates were there from me and they documents from me. Someone, my birthday, I celebrated a birthday. My birthday was 24th of April and for convenience, I did a Thanksgiving service on the 25th and someone sent me happy birthday wishes, does that make it my birthday? When people have their birthday, uh, is it compulsory that you must uh, have a Thanksgiving service on that day? The 10th of May, was it a document that generated from me? These are the issues we must, we must look at. You know, if someone publishes something, uh, is that my document? Indeed. Let me ask you now about, uh, I mean, you, you alluded to it in your answer to one of my previous questions when you mentioned that you had been in Ibom for more than 30 years. You're a very big player uh, in the hospitality industry. And in my opening, I referred to you as Pastor Umo Eno, which also meant that you're, you're, you know, you're, a, cler you're a clergyman uh, as well. Um, and I want to ask, what happens to these things uh, while, uh, if you become governor? For example, what happens to your... Uh, what I see here is that uh, you have a, a very large business empire in, in Aquaibum. Uh, some of the estimates uh, uh, indicate that you may, the, the, this uh, may be worth as much as $5 million. What happens to that uh, when you go to be governor? Have you been thinking about that? Well, now that you've quoted $5 million, I hope tomorrow someone will not take me to court because you don't have, you know, you don't have... Uh, anything to show to that, that's your, that's your estimation. And um, funny enough, tomorrow someone will say on a program, um, Ladi said this. See, that's the kind of politics we play around, which is, you know, but again, um, every institution, uh, what we try to do uh, has been to build these uh, institutions, not around a person, but through processes. And you can honestly, and that's what should be. You are there for a season. You are not going to be there all of the time. And so what you do is to build institutions. The problem with Nigeria today is that we don't have strong institutions. What we did from the beginning was we have a strong management team, we have a strong institution, and so there had always been this love. Uh, when I say uh, in the western part of this country, you see transition that has been arranged from generation to generation. 
I grew up in Lagos and partly in the West and so I'd always loved what I see. And when we started royalty about 25 or thereabout years, we had known from the beginning till today. I have staff and I have key management staff that have been with us from the beginning. It's, they've been there 25 years, we're together. You, so you raise them up to be able to uh, succeed you. So there's been always that succession plan in the church. Of course, if you are called to be a pastor, um, all that I see that is happening is that God is moving you from pastoring a small congregation of people to pastoring a Kwaibom state. But even in the local church, there is a very good succession plan. We have pastors. I was only the lead pastor. We have other pastors. Right now, we have uh, a lead pastor that has stepped in. And so the structures are there. It wasn't really built around me um, because, see, whether you went into government or not, anything could happen at any time. The wish for a, of any uh, entrepreneur or any founder of anything is to see that that enterprise or the church or whatever lives beyond him and maybe get generations yet unborn to benefit from it. If anything collapses when you are no more, then you didn't succeed, you didn't do anything. And that has been part of our strategic thinking and planning. I raised that point because um, as, of course, we have seen what has happened uh, subsequent to uh, having uh, people of uh, uh, organizational wealth, uh, people who have uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, wealth uh, uh, going to politics and into governance. And then uh, you have issues uh, about favoring those institutions uh, uh, when you are also having political power. Uh, the closest example or the nearest example in terms of chronology would be that of President Donald Trump. I believe uh, he's still facing accusations that as president of the U.S., he was favoring some of the hotels and some of the golf courses that he owned uh, while as president and that he was earning, his companies were earning money. So I was asking the question about what happens to your church and to your uh, uh, hospitality group while you're in governance in such a way that you do not get accused of uh, uh, favoring them while you are also holding political power? Um, but, uh, how, would, how would the church benefit from government? The, the church is, the, is my church. I will, um, once in a while, like I said, there's a lead pastor now, the church runs on its own. The church does not draw salary or draw contracts from government. Once in a while, when I have time, I will stop by to worship in the church. You know, I will go to other churches. I will. You know, there's a government house chapel inside the government house. That's my new church. So I don't see how the church draws directly a direct benefit from uh, or direct patronage from government. The business, the business uh, royalty group, as it were, is not does business not necessarily with government. You know, but if government patronizes them, then government will pay for it. But there are government guest houses, and so. Why would you and why would you make royalty hotel the government guest house? No, is those are part. You see, there, there are things that decency, integrity, and transparency will not let you do. I I do not believe that I should bring in my personal interest into 
the public interest. No, I, I wouldn't do that. Now, um, of course, I, I, I am taking uh, time out to ask you to respond to all this because these are some of the things that have been raised. Um, I, it's also said that because of the bracket in, in, in society that you are in, that uh, there are those who think that you are going to be a governor for the rich because uh, you're, you're, you're quite wealthy yourself and that, uh, you know, the poor may suffer as a result, uh, conversely. Um, what would you say to those people, especially when it comes to the issue of taxes, uh, welfare programs for the poor, uh, and, and putting their issues front and center? Because uh, many of your friends, uh, business friends and uh, political friends, uh, are, are equally wealthy just like you are. And so uh, you are not feeling the shoe where it pinches. Uh, that's what would be said. Well, that's what, that's what you think, Laddie. I can tell you the cost of running, even the business itself is, um, uh, is hitting the roof. But the truth is, we have, you need to know who I am. You need to know my background. You need to know that I came from the grassroots and God raised me through all of that. I have, my story is out there. I grew up in the barracks. I know, what poverty is like. And if God gives me the privilege to uh, run, uh, to become the governor of Aquaibom State, that's my primary constituency. We have programs that will address poverty. I know the pains. I know how it is to go through some things. Like, you know, so, so I identify with these people. I'm, I'm a grassroots person. It's not about, yes, God has helped you to go to the top, but even as a pastor, you work with the simple people in the villages, in our rural areas, in our rural communities. My church still runs free medical health care every weekday. I mean, every day of the week, we run, we consult. We, so it's, I, am, I am at home with the poor people. I understand it. And I, it is from amongst them that God has raised me. Bible says that every high priest is from amongst men. So I didn't just drop from the sky. If you look at our program for the youth, the youth empowerment program and our entrepreneurial program, the women empowerment program, we want to support these small businesses to ensure that they can stand on their own. What regular politicians do every year is they just wait for an election year and they come and sprinkle some little, little money around these uh, people and then just to confuse their mind. The plan we have is to make them have a sustainable means of livelihood. From the first day, we look at their businesses, empower those businesses, monitor the businesses, ensure that we give them adequate support in terms of even human capital development so that those enterprises can grow. And then we look at <clears throat> create business hubs that will help our young women in the fashion, uh, create a fashion hub, and then let them have what they don't, what we lack most times in our climb is finishing because they don't have the finances to get the right machine. So you create the hub and you bring in those um, uh, uh, machineries and then let it be there so that all of them can have access to it. And you, they, they have businesses. Once you do that, you are beginning to move them from that poverty level to the middle class, 
which of course has been wiped away in this country. So I come from an entrepreneurial background. I understand how to create businesses. I've done them before. That's how we, we've been able to start from nothing and we are where we are today by the grace of God. So I want to deploy that uh, proficiency and I want to deploy what God has used me to do in my establishment to help this, uh, to help our people. Let us sharpen our entrepreneurial skill. Let everybody have something to do. And government continues to lean towards that area. And these are the things we have put in our rise agenda. It has place for everybody in this country. There's no, we need to be able to, the civil servants, we must make sure that, because they are the engine room of government, they continue to have their salary on time, their pension, you ensure that you pay their gratuities. These are the things we've made room for, even the aged from 65. You should be able to have access to some free Medicare and using the health insurance scheme. And these are the things. So governance is for the generality of the people, the poor and the rich. And that is what it's going to be. Now, um, I, I, I did say at the start of the program that uh, I, would, I would return you to the national level. Um, I, I know for a fact, having covered uh, uh, politics and political campaign cycles uh, for many, many, many years, that uh, it, the, the situation with uh, uh, national politics is that someone who is a governor is better helped at the national level if the president comes from the same party as he does. And I am assuming that as the incumbent governor of Akwaivan State is the chairman of the PDP campaign council, uh, you do, of course, expect that uh, Alhaji Atikwabaka uh, will become president uh, uh, next year. But um, you do know as well, uh, uh, being one of the frontliners in the PDP, that uh, the House is not all that steady at the moment. Uh, what do you make of what's going on, and how do you think that the party can address this? Well, first of all, I'm a very true party man, and I pray and trust God and work very hard uh, to ensure that a presidential candidate emerges. Yes, we have uh, some internal, it's a family, and there's no family that you don't have some misunderstanding from time to time. I believe that the hierarchy of the party, uh, uh, they are working to resolve those issues, and they will go into the election stronger. And I trust that we'll win the elections. Best of luck to you uh, in the coming campaign season and in the election proper. Pastor Omar Basi, Eno, thank you so much for your time on the program today. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you. And I wish you the best of luck too. Thank you. That's our program today. We would, of course, like to hear from you on the conversation. Our social media handles are right there on your screen. You can also listen to this and previous episodes of the program via our podcast. Please visit our website, channelstv.com forward slash podcast to get started. I am Ladi Akiri Duluale. Goodbye. <laughs>